Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. A reading from the letter to the Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean? Except that he also ascended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended to the, is the very one who ascended higher than all of the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ gave himself the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach all unity in faith and in knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the full measure of the fullness of Christ. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Almighty and gracious God, we gather this morning to hear your word read and proclaimed. And as we do so, O Lord, speak to us. Speak to us in the stillness of our hearts and the depths of our souls, so that we would be transformed not into just hearers of your word, but doers of your word. In your son's holy name we pray. Amen. So I want to share with you a story that some of you may have heard when I heard it earlier this fall, but I think, or last fall, it is really important, and it's a story about care and compassion. So there are these two guys, Patrick and Justin, who had known each other, they'd grown up together, born almost at the same time in the same hospital in rooms next door to each other. As they went through life, they were closer than ever before and always shared in this journey together. In high school, Justin had been in a car accident, and in that car accident, a few years passed, and as he was playing soccer, he noticed something was wrong with one of his feet. It wasn't working right, and so it started a cascade of doctor's appointments over the next several years, and when they finally got to the bottom of what was happening, by this time he was starting to lose mobility in that foot, and starting to see similar symptoms in the other foot. He he was diagnosed with an ALS-like disease called multifocal acquired uh, motor axonomiopathy, which basically says that the immune system was beginning to attack the nervous system. And as it would do so, it would render the motor nerves useless. It would shut them down. It was a slow, progressive disease, a condition. And so by the time he was 26, he had lost the use of his legs. But he and Patrick stayed close together. They traveled together. Their wives got to know each other. 
their families sort of blended into one of these wonderful new community, almost as if they were brothers and uncles for each other's children. By the time Justin was 37, he had lost the use of his arms as well. He said, at 37, I really, all I could really do was sit uh, and watch life go by. He says, I could still talk, I could still think, I could still dream. He said, the only thing that I can tell you is that it had not quite gotten to my hand yet so I could drive a, rem a mean remote control for the TV. And so one afternoon, he was watching a documentary on this wonderful path called the Camino de Santiago, the Way of St. James, which goes across northern Spain. As he watched that, he began to dream. He wondered if that was something that he in, wheel, in a wheelchair could do. Could he do the way of St. James? Could it be something that he and his friend Patrick could do together? A couple of weeks later, Patrick and his family had come to visit Justin. And as the wives gathered in the kitchen to sort of catch up on life and the kids went out to play in the yard, Justin convinced Patrick to come into the TV room and to watch the documentary. At the end of it, he looked at his friend and he said, I have this crazy idea. Patrick sort of cocked his head to the side and Justin said, let's do the Camino together. He's, and he said, and he writes this in his book, he says, I wasn't sure what Patrick was going to say next, but Patrick looked at me and he said these words, I'll push you. Three words, I'll push you. Those three words changed their lives. It took them into a deeper relationship. But it was in that moment that they began to understand the love and the support that they had for each other. I'll push you. Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, and he's appealing to them to have unity in the body of Christ, unity in the church. He sort of sets the ground rules for how they should act and treat and live with one another, to be humble and gentle to be patient, but I love these words, to bear one another, to bear one another in love. See, this whole idea of maintaining the union of spirit was important to Paul because as he wrote, we have one body, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. He says, grace has been given to each of us and each of us has been gifted to serve the body of Christ in order to make it stronger. So this message of unity was because Paul understood the brokenness of life, the brokenness of the world around him. And you and I, we still live in the tension of a broken world. I mean, there's physical brokenness where we receive cancer diagnoses and we just have the usual aches and pains as we mature. We have memory failure and broken bones, organ failure, autoimmune disorders, and so forth. Sometimes our bodies just don't do what we want them to do. Or then we have brokenness in our relationships where there's divorce and estrangement. We're unable to find compromise. We have the loss of the ability to communicate with each other and get past our differences. There's mental brokenness in our society, in our world. I mean, things that weigh on our hearts, things that happen to us and how they weigh on our souls, whether it's the loss of a job or life doesn't turn out the way we want it to. Or we begin to understand through diagnoses that there are mental health issues that we're facing that sometimes affect who we are and how we act. Or sometimes we are debilitated by grief and loss. 
unable to seemingly move forward, broken in that way. And then there is just the spiritual brokenness. Distance that we feel from God where we seem to be all alone or even as we gather in the church that there are nuances and the difference of doctrine and faith that we fail to find unity in the things that are essential and charity in the things that are non-essential. See, some of us, all of us in this room are broken in some way. Sometimes we know it and sometimes we are just one scratch away from fully understanding it. And so Paul's challenge to us is to find that unity of the Spirit so that we can be healed and cope with our brokenness. And see, my dream for this place, my dream for our congregation is that we would be a church, a place of care and support where we understand our own brokenness and the brokenness of the world and we lift each other up. And so if nothing else you take away from this sermon today, it's these three takeaways. One, you matter. Two, don't go it alone. And three, the impossible is possible. Several years ago, I was in a church growth conference, and it was led by uh, the Minister for Evangelism at Fraser Memorial in Alabama. It was probably the first mega church, if you will, in Methodism. And they were talking about all the different systems that they use and how they record people coming into church and getting people into the member pipeline. Uh, it's a wonderful process. But he said one of the things that they did is, you remember Brett asked you to pass the attendance pads just a few minutes ago. Well, what would happen is everybody would pass it and they would sign their name in. And then on Monday and Tuesday of the week, somebody would input all this data in the computer. So they would know who was in church that Sunday. And as soon as all the data was inputted in, they would print a report. And so if you missed this week, we would know it. If you missed two weeks in a row, the system would know it. And if you missed three weeks in a row, it sped on a special report and there were a team of people from the church that would call you at home and say, Martha, we noticed that you weren't in church. Are you okay? And they would go through this and really trying to find out what's going on in these people's lives. And so as he's telling this story, he says, let me tell you how well our system works. He said, just a couple of weeks ago, I was in the Northex as worship was beginning and people were streaming in and I was just kind of observing. I was in the roving duty that day. And in comes a guy, he's not really dressed like we dress for church. He says, no, don't get me wrong. We have all things under the sun in terms of dress. We have people that come in in jeans. We have people in three-piece suits. He said, but this guy came in even more casual than our casual members. He said he was wearing like flip-flops and a pair of grubby shorts and a cut-off t-shirt. He had his sunglasses popped up on his head and he came marching right through the narthex and right into the church. And I kind of felt proud of this. I was like, well, this guy feels comfortable enough to come to church just as he is. That's the kind of church we want to be. He says, and about three minutes later, I saw the same guy coming right back out of church and down the stairs. And I thought, oh boy, somebody's told him that he's not dressed appropriate. And now he's gone away mad and I'm going to go do damage control. So he follows him out the door of the church and follows him across the parking lot. He finally catches up the guy at his truck with the boat attached. And he says, hey, 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 I'm, I'm Pastor. He goes, oh, I know who you are. He says, you don't know me. He says, there's like 5,000 members, so you can't know us all. I'm so-and-so. He said, well, why are you leaving? He goes, well, I've missed two Sundays in a row, so I came to sign in so I wouldn't get a phone call from you this week. <laughs> I mean, I think that's brilliant. He knows enough that he should be there, but it won't get called out on it. But 
I hope the fishing was good. That's all I can say. But I got thinking about that as I looked at this scripture and thinking about this idea of do we hold each other in care and support? And while we've got the same kind of system, if you sign in, we could run those kinds of reports and we could find that out. But what I think would be better is if we made it personal. Think about the people that sit in front of you and behind you, to the left of you and to the right of you. Do you know them by name? Because they're there every week. They sit in the same spot. What if you made that your neighborhood and you began to take role of who was near you and around you so that somebody new was there, you had somebody to introduce yourself to and get to know them. But if they weren't there a couple of weeks in a row, that you reached out to them and say, hey, I noticed you weren't in church. Are you okay? Because while getting a phone call from the minister sounds like being called to the principal's office, getting one from one of your own kind that sits in your neighborhood reminds all of us that we matter. And that's what really happens in this place. Each of us matters. At some granular level, each of us matters to each other, and we need to take responsibility for that. So imagine if we did that, if we took responsibility for each other and we became members of the neighborhood checking up on each other. Because let me tell you what, friends, these are the people that are going to push you on the road of life when it becomes difficult. We matter to each other in this place. And that's God's greatest gift to us, is this gift of community. Justin and Patrick tell the story that as they were beginning, uh, they were at 380 miles into their journey, and they were coming to a mountain called Osibiero. I think that's right. Anyway. You know what I'm talking about. Osibiro, they're getting there, and it's this mountain, and it's really steep. And Patrick has been pushing Justin these 380 miles. Occasionally, someone has helped him out, but mostly he's been pushing, and he is just worn out. I mean, he'd been in the best shape of his life when the trip started, but he was slowly worn down. As they turned the corner to get this mountain, what they found was a crowd of people, people that they'd met along the road that had been engrossed in their story and had engaged them and become their friends, and they knew this mountain was coming. Everybody knew this was one of the hardest spots on the trail. As they got to it, Patrick and Justin talked. There was sort of an easy route, and easy is all relative. There was an easier route, and there was a more difficult route. And they said, you know, we've never given up. We've never taken the easy way in life. We're going to do the hard route. And as they turned the corner, and they saw this crowd there, they all looked at Patrick, and they said... You are not pushing today. We got this. And with that, six of them dropped their packs. They surrounded Justin's wheelchair. And with that, they picked up the 250 pounds of wheelchair and Justin and gear, and they carried it. The others in the crowd picked up the packs that had been dropped, and they carried their packs. And throughout the day, they took turns trading packs and rolls and carrying Justin up O.C. Burera. And Patrick just walked behind. All because they said, you are not pushing today. They helped him get his friend over this high obstacle. I've been a part of an organization for years called the National Association of Church Business Administrators. It exists to resource folks like Marianne, our executive director, or executive pastors and business administrators in larger churches. 
And what we know about this group, that unless you're in a large city in a town like Dallas, Texas, where everything is bigger, there are very few large churches clustered together. And so business administrators, executive directors, executive pastors are kind of out there on their own. And when they have troubling thoughts or trying to figure something out, they don't really have someone right around the corner that they can just go have lunch with to sort it out. And so this organization exists and their motto is don't go it alone. The church business administrators think that don't go it alone is a motto so that you would pick up the phone and call somebody maybe a state and a half away that's in a similar sized church to say, hey, I'm experiencing this. Are you all seeing that? Or how did you all solve this problem? Because we're trying to figure out how to solve it ourselves. Someone to resource so that we don't go it alone in administering the church. Someone that says, you're not pushing today. Let me help you. My friends, we've got the same resources right here for life, right here for life in our church so that we don't have to go it along either so that when we get, the road gets tough and we need someone to look us in the eye and say, you're not pushing today, let us help you, we can do that. First, it could be that neighborhood we were talking about a minute ago, those people right around us, or maybe it's your small group like your Sunday school class or your Bible study, people that can carry you over those obstacles of life. But if it's not them, it could be Stephen Ministry or Congregational Care or Grief Support or our Daybreak Respite Care Ministry. We have these ministries that exist so that you don't have to go it alone. So that someone can look you in the eyes, you face those difficult places and say, you're not pushing today. See, I have this dream that we are the kind of church that bears each other's burdens. That we can look each other in the eye and say, I've got this. You're not pushing today. Let me help you. And then what they find is that willing spirit that will bear each other's burdens. As wonderful as their story is, what really happens at the beginning is the most wonderful part. They're excited about this trip. They're getting ready to embark on this 500-mile journey. They're, they're in the best shape of their lives. All the equipment is working perfectly. Everything is perfectly packed and well-balanced. They're excited. There's all kinds of energy and I get ready to take the first step. Now, I don't know why, did it, why it's like this, but it seems like every one of these journeys, the first step is always uphill. And so they start up the hill, and pretty soon within an hour, Patrick is gasping for air, his legs are burning, and they're beginning to question, did this make a lot of sense? Two guys, one in a wheelchair, 500 miles, going over rough terrain. It's not Salem Parkway that they're pushing this on. It's sort of like the Appalachian Trail meets a dirt road. Sometimes it's flat and level, and other times it's rocky and instable, and sometimes it's muddy and full of potholes. They're not sure that they can do this. They're beginning to think this. They've made the biggest mistake of their lives, and then the shepherd comes around the corner. Apparently, this is sort of his territory where he takes his sheep on a regular basis, and he looks at them, and he starts laughing, and then he says these words, Lo impossible es possible. Lo impossible es possible. The impossible is possible. And he shouts at the top of the lungs and he gives those two guys hope that maybe, just maybe, as crazy as this dream is, that they can do it. That the impossible is possible. I mean, we know this about the human body. We know that the human body is able to do things that are completely impossible. I mean, think about it. When you hear these stories of car accidents and that there's someone trapped inside and a person who could barely lift 
100 pounds in the gym the day before, reaches down and flips a car up off of somebody and rescues them. And tomorrow they go to try to do the same thing and they pull their back out. But at that moment in time between the adrenaline, the endorphins and fear and everything else, they just did the impossible. Or college students, they have this amazing ability to stay up 36 hours straight, cramming a semester's worth of material in to study for an exam, and they don't miss a minute of sleep, and they're not groggy at all, and yet three weeks later, they sleep 24 hours a day. The impossible is possible. And think about it, when we think about how we care for each other, even sometimes when our tank seems to be empty, we can care for someone just a little bit longer. If that's true with our bodies, with our minds, with our souls, think about what it might mean for the body of Christ, for you and me and collectively for us as a congregation. Because the impossible is possible. Thanks to the power of the Holy Spirit, because of the care that we have for each other, because God strengthens us, because God sends people to surround us in our hour of need to lift us up even in the brokenness of life, and carry us. There are times when you and I are tempted to say, I can't do this, I give up, I don't want to do it anymore. And yet, the community surrounds us and lifts us up. And the impossible becomes possible. See, I think that's what's great about us as a church. And I want us to continue to live into that where we make the impossible possible each and every day that we inspire each other to bring out the best in ourselves and in our lives, to seek the goodness of God in everything that we do, even in our brokenness. So the good news for you and me today is that even with all the brokenness around the world, that we are called to be the church. We are called to be the church to help bring about the healing of the world. And so my dream for the people called Centenary United Methodist Church is that the world knows through our faithful living that you matter. That the world knows that we don't have to go it alone. That the world knows that the impossible is possible. So that even as we pour out our own brokenness, as we lift each other up and bear each other's burdens, that we do it with grace, with gentleness, with humility and love. And as our friends, our neighbors, our brothers and sisters share with us the brokenness of their lives, we look each other in the face and we smile and we say simply, I'll push you, plain and simple. I'll push you. Because that's truly what God calls us to do each and every day. To lift each other up and bear each other's burdens. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll consider joining us for worship on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock or Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, or 11. Have a blessed day.